0: Aphrodite, a humorous Regency novel by D.G. Rampton Chapter 13 April, love, said Lady Hartwood, letting herself into her daughter's bedchamber on the eve of Mrs. Jameson's soiree. Albert has arrived. Are you ready? I can't accustom myself to this new haircut, April sighed, regarding herself in her mirror. "'Familiarity with her own looks might have made it impossible for her to admire them, "'but she was not wholly devoid of vanity "'and wanted to look her best for her first outing amongst the ton. "'Mr. Piggot insisted on cutting it so uncompromisingly short,' she went on. "'I feel utterly exposed.' "'Well, for my part, I think he did a splendid job,' said her mother. "'There is now nothing to distract from your lovely features.' "'So I can be stared at even more,' remarked April." To hear you talk, love, one would think you resented being blessed with beauty. Well, I'm not so eccentric as to wish to be plain, said April, but I do feel that to be pretty rather than beautiful would be more suited to my disposition. She smiled at her mother's baffled expression, then went on, Oh, well, at least Rachel now finds it easier to dress my hair, and I'm only too happy to be spared her sticking hairpins into me as if I were a pincushion, "'I don't know why you insisted on hiring the girl,' complained Lady Hartwood. "'For years I've begged you to hire a lady's maid for yourself. "'But with all the goodwill in the world, Rachel is not fit for the role. "'Although I suppose we must now call her Browning if you insist on keeping her.' "'You know perfectly well why I hired her, Mamma. "'Oh, of course, I understand you felt responsible for her "'after you convinced her to run away from her employer.' But, as I said at the time, you could have simply given her some money and sent her on her way." "'Where could she have gone when she had no family?' April asked reasonably, before going on. "'Don't worry. She will soon learn her role, now that your talented Keeley has taken her under her wing.'" "'Well, I don't want to disappoint you, love, but I must tell you that Keeley is not entirely reconciled to what you have asked of her.'" She has warned me not to expect miracles and keeps on insisting in the most tiresome way that she cannot make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. "'She may grumble, but she'll do her best, which is all I ask,' said April. When her mother did not look to be entirely convinced by this reasoning, she added gently, "'Surely you wouldn't have wanted me to leave such an innocent girl working at that inn with such a lecherous landlord.' Lady Hartwood sighed in resignation and admitted, "'No, no, certainly not.' "'He is fortunate we did not lodge a complaint against him "'with the magistrate,' said April, eyes kindling. "'Only imagine what would have happened "'if my bed had not been so uncomfortable "'that I was awake to hear her protests "'when he forced his way into her room.' "'I don't want to imagine,' objected Lady Hartwood, "'shuddering delicately. "'The poor girl!' I was never so incensed in my life, and although I might wish that you had not taken such an active role in the matter, for you know, love, it was not at all ladylike to clout the man with the bedpan, I was nevertheless delighted when you rendered him unconscious. He will think twice before forcing his attentions on another woman, and, as for his atrocious beds, well, I don't believe I slept a wink myself that night. I surely had the lumpiest, most ill-filled straw mattress in the entire kingdom." If it had been shaken and turned once in all its years of service, I would count myself astonished, and the sheets were not aired, no matter what that horrible man said to the contrary. April could not help smiling. It was unclear from this speech what her mother found more shocking, their landlord's lascivious intentions or his lack of housekeeping skills. That whole episode is best left forgotten, went on Lady Hartwood resolutely, for all our sakes. And as for your haircut, love, it looks charming on you and you have no need at all to feel self-conscious or exposed. April regarded herself in the mirror again. I suppose I shouldn't feel exposed when this new gown covers me so admirably. Lady Hartwood eyed the high-necked evening gown a little dubiously. She was not used to seeing her daughter dressed in such a concealing style. Still, there was no denying the sky-blue silk had been expertly moulded to her shape and looked surprisingly dashing. With its straight skirt, puff sleeves, and a neckline that reached almost to the chin, Madame Franchot had created a gown that was stunning in its simplicity. There were no frills or lace to mar its sleek silhouette, only a row of pearl buttons that marched daintily down the bodice, over April's bosom, and finished where the skirt of the dress gathered under her bust. "'I look as if I've joined a nunnery,' April remarked dispassionately. "'Oh, nothing of the sort. "'No nun would allow herself to be seen in such a tight bodice, "'I assure you,' said her mother. "'April threw her a twinkling look. "'Then perhaps I should be concerned that I'm revealing too much.' "'Lady Hartwood's brow creased as she contemplated this possibility. "'I'm only teasing, Mamma," laughed April. "'I'm certain I'll be the most soberly dressed woman there tonight.' Now let us go and join Albert before he loses all patience with us. A few minutes later, with their cloaks draped over their arms, the ladies walked into the parlour off the vestibule where Leighton had placed Lord Paisley and given him a glass of sherry with which to fortify himself while he waited. Upon their entrance, his lordship put aside his drink and came forward to kiss his betrothed, saying with awed appreciation that no one could hold a candle to her. Lady Hartwood blossomed into even greater beauty under his adoring gaze. And you, my dear, look as pretty as a picture, Lord Paisley told April. You are bound to have an offer of marriage before the end of the night. Thank you for the warning, she returned, eyes full of laughter. I'll make sure to be on my guard for foolish gentlemen. And may I say, Albert, you are looking very fine yourself this evening. There's something different about you, but I can't quite put my finger on it. ''Yes, dearest, you are looking very handsome,'' agreed her ladyship. ''Are you wearing a new coat?'' Lord Paisley looked pleased and a little self-conscious, and, putting back his shoulders, straightened to his full height. ''Yes, the coat is new. Actually, I've had to buy several coats recently. It was easier to replace them than to have them taken in.'' ''Taken in? Albert, are you by chance on a reducing diet?'' Lady Hartwood asked with a good deal of surprise. "'I want to look my best for you, my love,' he owned sheepishly. "'Well then, we'd best be off. "'No point in standing around when the carriage is waiting.' "'I think it suits you very well,' April told him with a smile as she passed him. "'Then she walked on ahead to allow the affianced couple a few minutes alone.' "'By the time Lord Paisley's coachman pulled up in front of Mrs Jameson's townhouse,' it had started to rain with considerable force. His lordship, fearing for his companion's satin slippers, had the happy notion of carrying them from the carriage to the glass and steel portico that extended from the house to the pavement. Are you certain, dearest? asked Lady Hartwood, eyeing him with trepidation. Perhaps your footman could assist me. I wouldn't wish to, to crumple your evening clothes. Her betrothed might have lost some weight but that did not blind her to his limitations. A Corinthian he was not. No, no, I insist, my love, he replied. My fellow is already wet, and besides, we need him to hold the umbrella. Lord Paisley heaved himself out of the carriage and stretched out his arms to her. He looked so eager to prove himself that she did not have the heart to resist further. She tightened her grip on her cloak and gave a brave little nod. His lordship then surprised them all by picking her up with great aplomb and, looking vastly pleased with himself, carried off his fragrant bundle to the cover of the portico. April laughed and slid across the seat to the open carriage door to shout, Bravo! after him. A figure appeared before her suddenly and she drew back in surprise. Hugh offered her the smile that had intruded on her thoughts far too often over the last few days an intrusion she could have happily done without. Can I be of assistance? he asked. Thank you, but no, Mr. Royce. Albert will return for me shortly. I see I'm still sunk below reproach if we're back to Mr. Royce. Was my behaviour so abominable? You know it was, she retorted, before she could stop herself. But she did not want to be reminded of the whole embarrassing episode in his phaeton and added quickly... However, I don't regard it, I assure you. I've become quite used to your odd manners. Now please, get out of the rain. Albert will be back for me soon. I think carrying your mother has finished him off, he replied. If you don't want to end up in a heap on the ground, you'd best let me help you. No, really, there's no need. Please, just see to your fiancé. It was Miss Starling who sent me to you, he said. April looked past him and saw her mother talking to Miss Starling on the steps of the townhouse, while Lord Paisley leant against a column and appeared to be attempting to catch his breath. How kind of her, she murmured, uncertain how to feel about such magnanimity. Come, you'll be quite safe with me, he told her. Seeing no alternative, April gave her permission and averted her gaze so she would not have to look at him in the eye as he drew near. In a quick, business-like manner, Hugh put an arm around her waist and another under her knees. Are you ready? he asked, his breath tickling the sensitive skin below her ear, exposed by her haircut. Yes, she cleared her throat. Her voice had come out a little too huskily for her liking. After a slight hesitation, he asked, Do you have your reticule? We wouldn't want to send some poor servant back into this weather for it. She looked down at the twisted silk cord around her wrist. "'Yes, I have it.' A pause followed. "'Perhaps we should wrap the carriage blanket around you,' he said in a gruff voice. "'Your cloak will be ruined otherwise.' April was surprised he was taking the time to think of such details when he stood in the downpour, with only the small amount of cover provided by the umbrella Lord Paisley's footman held for him. "'That won't be necessary,' she replied, daring to look at him.' His countenance was unnervingly close to her own and was set in a frowning expression. "'I know, my hair is ridiculously short,' she remarked, feeling self-conscious all of a sudden. "'No,' he offered up. She regarded him inquiringly, and he added, "'It isn't too short.' A small smile turned up the corners of her mouth. "'Pray don't overwhelm me with compliments.' "'I like it,' he said simply." Personally, I think I look like an auto boy, she remarked. Hugh did not immediately reply, and she had ample time to feel the weight of his scrutiny and the impropriety of their close proximity, and to notice, despite the dim light, that his eyes were a dark stormy grey and not brown, as she had supposed. A strange heat began to permeate through her. She knew it was in her best interests to force her gaze away from him, if only she could do it. "'Nothing about you resembles a boy,' he said in a terse voice, and then, without warning, lifted her out of the carriage and walked off with her so quickly the footman holding the umbrella had to rush to catch up. In the space of a few seconds, April was deposited on her feet under the portico. "'Thank you,' she said briskly, shaking out the raindrops from her cloak. Hugh nodded once and made his way up the shallow steps to his fiancée's side, and, taking her hand, placed it in the crook of his arm. April fixed a polite smile on her lips and followed. "'Good evening, Miss Starling,' she said. "'Thank you for sending your fiancée to me.' "'And a good evening to you too, Miss Hartwood,' replied Miss Starling. "'Although it is too wet to be called such, "'I hope you do not mind being manhandled. "'It's irksome to rely on men's brute strength, "'but necessary on occasion.' "'I was only too happy for the assistance,' said April. "'Of course,' "'You are most practical, are you not?' Miss Starling said sweetly, before continuing. "'I was just saying to Lady Hartwood how sorry I am that you will not have the opportunity to meet my mother this evening. She has caught a chill and must keep to her bed, but she sends her best regards and looks forward to meeting you both very soon.' April replied with all that was necessary to convey pleasure at the prospect, and quickly followed her mother into the townhouse. "'They were met in the foyer by the butler.' Once their damp outer garments had been handed over to this commanding individual and his minions, he led them up the stairs to the first floor and showed them into a spacious double drawing room where Mrs. Jameson herself was waiting to greet them. April was the only one of the group who had never before met their hostess, and she could not help staring. For one thing, Mrs. Jameson was built along generous lines that demanded attention and made one wonder if she needed assistance to rise from her bed. And, for another, her hefty bulk, from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, was dressed in a lavish shade of crimson. On her elaborately dressed hair sat a large crimson velvet turban, with not one but three ostrich feathers. Her crimson silk gown, cut in a classical style, and, thankfully, concealing a good portion of her enormous bust, was embellished with enough embroidery to do justice to a pope. And, if April's eyes were not deceiving her, the crimson slippers on her plump feet sparkled with an intensity that suggested they were embedded with diamonds. "'Eleanor, you look more beautiful each time I see you,' cried Mrs Jameson, and embraced Lady Hartwood against her bosom. Her ladyship's slight frame disappeared into a swathe of crimson, and she reemerged after a few moments, looking a little dishevelled. "'You flatter me, ma'am!' She laughed and patted her hair. "'I have known you for over twenty years, my dear,' said Mrs. Jameson. "'I have no need to flatter you. "'Paisley, you have found yourself a jewel without price. "'I hope you're man enough to know how to treat her.' His lordship bowed and began to assure his hostess, in some detail, how he considered himself the most fortunate of men and planned on dedicating himself to his betrothed's happiness. "'We shall see,' Mrs. Jameson cut in on his eloquence, "'I'll be keeping my eye on you.' "'How do you do, Miss Starling? "'I'm pleased you could join us this evening. "'I don't believe I've yet had a chance "'to offer you my felicitations. Hugh's quite a catch, isn't he? "'One can't blame you for having said yes to him. "'If only I were 30 years younger, "'I'd be setting myself up as your rival.' An inappropriate wink followed this pronouncement, and April had to stifle a giggle. Miss Starling, on the other hand, was not in the least amused. She had never before been addressed by someone of Mrs. Jameson's ilk and was momentarily uncertain how to proceed. Fortunately, one of her mother's many teachings came rushing back to her. People who do not abide by the rules of etiquette are to be tolerated with a polite smile but never encouraged with a response to their nonsense, for that would only be lowering oneself to their level. And so, Miss Starling offered her hostess the rather patronising smile she had been taught. "'Yes, you certainly do resemble your mother,' Mrs. Jameson remarked, looking kindly upon her. "'A handicap, to be sure, but nothing that can't be overcome with a little willpower.' And after delivering this outrageous statement, she turned to Hugh. "'So, young man, you're getting leg-shackled at last. "'About time, I suppose. "'What's the point of accumulating all that wealth if there's no one to share it with? "'How old are you now? Thirty two? 34, ma'am, he replied, a smile in his eyes. Have I disappointed you? No, no, of course not. At least not in that, she said cryptically. Yours is a good age to be thinking of marriage. You've left your flighty years behind you and are now ready to settle down with the right woman. And this must be Miss Hartwood. I have heard a great deal about you, my dear, from our mutual acquaintance. I'm sure you know that we have had our heads together making plans for you. For one alarming moment, April feared she was going to expand further and draw everyone's curiosity, but Mrs. Jameson only smiled and held her peace. Eyes sparkling with relief and laughter, April dropped into a curtsey and said warmly, "'I'm honoured to be meeting you at last, ma'am.' "'Yes, you'll do,' Mrs. Jameson said approvingly, before going on. "'Paisley, I believe your fiancé and her daughter would appreciate a glass of champagne.' Lord Paisley accepted this hint with the utmost of good humour and went off on his errand. "'You two lovebirds,' Mrs Jameson addressed Hugh and Miss Starling, "'will no doubt wish to spend some time alone in a dark corner somewhere, "'making eyes at one another. "'And, as for you, Eleanor, bring your daughter and come with me. "'I must introduce you to the Duke of Clarendon and his mother.' "'And on those words she led the Hartwood ladies away "'with an energy that belied the fact she would never again see sixty. I believe we have been expertly dismissed, Hugh observed dryly. Pulling his gaze away from April's retreating form, he found it necessary to exercise his gallantry by raising Miss Starling's hand to his lips. Miss Starling gave no indication that this sign of affection was welcome to her and absent-mindedly removed her hand from his. I suppose it never occurred to our hostess that we too might wish to meet the Duke and his mother, she said with a forced smile. "'I gather she has more on her mind than a simple introduction,' said Hugh, "'in which case we would be quite superfluous.' "'Miss Starling looked up at him with sudden interest. "'Do you mean to say that she wishes to promote a match "'between Miss Hartwood and the Duke of Cladden? "'But how ludicrous! Miss Hartwood has beauty, certainly, "'but there are any number of more eligible young ladies for him to choose from. "'She is reaching for the moon if she thinks to ensnare a Duke.' "'No doubt,' Hugh replied. delivery so repressive that it brought an end to the subject. End of chapter 13